You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Okay, everybody, we're just going to jump right into it. It's your usual Kiesa Ditati podcast crew. We have myself, uh, Brent, Steve, and Sean here to discuss um, today's 3-1 victory over the Genoa Cricket and Football Club. Um, Sean, you're English. Do you play cricket? <laughs> no, not in your life, no. Never never picked up the bat? <laughs> no, I, I've been – I've never, never been interested in it. And to be fair, no one in my family has either, so no. Yeah, I had, uh, my first exposure to cricket was when I was uh, living in Australia, and there was a bunch of guys just in the middle of the day just drinking and playing cricket with a tennis ball in the middle of this, court, <laughs> the middle of this courtyard. And I watched them for a few minutes. I'm like, yeah, I don't get that sport, and I just moved on with my day. Yeah. But I was just fine. I've, I've, I've actually got two reasons to be into it, because uh, my family's not Eng- just English but West Indian as well. So on the Trini side, you know, we should be cricket mad. You would but, think so. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just never taken on with me. I just love the fact that it's called the Genoa Cricket and Football Club. That's always amused me. Um, okay, so we're going to try and turn in a tight 35-40 minute recap of the match tonight. So let's start off with, I'll run you through, if you missed the match, a brief uh, background. Um, so we had Roma coming into this match on a nine-match unbeaten run, if you don't count the administrative ding that they took against Verona. Um, and then in that run, or excuse me, not in that run, but against Genoa, they played, this was the 112th meeting. I looked that up and Roma have won a full 48% of those matches, including three of the past six against Genoa. Um, so really the story of this match was the opening 10 to 15 minutes. There were a couple of, um, not really missed sitters, but some glaring chances that Roma missed. Um, Mkhitaryan had an early chance. He fired into the side net. Uh, he had another one that was parried away. Um, so just a few early chances, uh, but then the match really swung in the 47th minute. There was some stoppage time in the first half from um, early, early injured to spin at soul and a couple of just normal um, stops and starts that you get in any match. It was the 47th minute. Uh, header, um, Mkhitaryan score, I think it was from Veritu, a Veritu corner headed at home, and that gave Roma kind of, um, I don't want to say undeserved, but sort of an un, unexpected lead when you consider how much, how many chances they wasted. And then, Second half kicks off, no changes. Genoa comes right back in the 50th minute with a Mar- uh, Mario pa- Piaca, is it? How do we say that? Yeah, yeah, usually Piazza. Piazza, yeah. Almost like Piazza. Piazza. All right, so he scored in the 50th minute. Um, sort of, it was a four-pass move starting in Genoa's half. Uh, and it was Gianluca Scamacca. How did I say that one? Yeah, that's fine. 
<laughs> so Skamaka had the final pass, uh, picked up Piaka from about maybe 25 yards out, slipped behind Ibanya, scored the goal. So it was not up at one-to-one. Things were getting sort of tense. Um, and then a couple of minutes later, Bruno Parrish, who came on for Spinozola early in the first half, um, had a pretty, pretty decent chance at goal on the left-hand side. Um, seemed to me like he had the far post open if he tried to rifle one into it, but he tried to finesse it the near post, and Matia Perrin knocked it away pretty easily. Um, and then we had our second uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan goal. Um, it was another lovely long ball. I think it was from Roger Ibanez. He found Bruno Perrish streaking down the left. Cristante. Yeah, Cristante. Who played the first yeah. pass? Cristante. Cristante. Was it really? Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to look back at that. All right. Anyway, so, yeah. So, Cristante, beautiful long ball to Perez on the left. Perez did well to settle it. And then with just a quick toe poke, played it from the left to the right. And you found Mkhitaryan, who just happened to be bursting into the box to regain Roma's lead. Um, but, again, two-to-one lead never feels quite safe, especially when you're on the road against a team that really has nothing to play for. Um, and so then Cristante um, factored in the match again. He got on the end of a really, really, really nice through ball from Lorenzo Pellegrini, sprung him in his face, and nobody but the keeper left to beat. He just inexplicably missed the goal. Um, it was just sort of horrific. If you were on Twitter at the time, you saw we weren't the only account swearing and cursing Cristante's name. It was a pretty blatant miss. Um, then Mkhitaryan again. Put the match up beyond all doubt with his third goal, a hat trick. Pedro found him in the area, and um, just for some reason, Genoa did not see fit to cover him. And he was wide open again, just a quick, I think, right footed volley, put Roma up three to one, and that was it. Um, so Roma once again overcame a sluggish start, some missed chances, and then really just sort of, for lack of a better word, put their foot on Genoa's neck and just ran away with this match. Um, so that was a quick recap. It's, you know, not much to it, and Roma wins three to one thanks to Mikatarian's hat trick. Um, so we're going to do now, just going to move into some of the key moments of the match. Um, so the first one I picked out, um, you guys feel free to disagree with me if you want. It was the early injury, injury to Leonardo Spinazzola, who left off, I think, in the 15th minute. Um, from what I've heard now, it's uh, a doctor, a doctor, abductor, whichever one's in the leg. Um, seems like he had a strain or tweak, um, which was not surprising when you consider how poor the pitch was. If you watch the match, you saw in the first half when Roma was attacking from right to left, Deep on the left-hand side of the pitch, it would just it looked like almost like tire tracks. The match was just completely chunked up. Uh, pitch was just uh, shambolic, I guess you'd say. Uh, yeah, so Spinazzola went off in the 15th minute. And to me, that was a key moment because Bruno Parrish came on. So, Sean, what did you think of Parrish's performance once he finally came on? Very good. The guy has done nothing wrong all of 2020. And he, I mean, at first he was trying to do a little bit of a Spinazzola by checking on his right foot on the left flank, which I'm tired of seeing from Spinazzola, let alone Perez. But uh, the more and more he got into the match, the more Bruno was decisive and uh, the assist for Mkhitaryan's second goal was just sumptuous. I mean, it's not easy to do a little toe poke volley um, back into the box like he did. So and Bruno's on, back on full form, on, on the best form of his Roma career. Yeah, all told, he had uh, three shots, all of which were on target. He had three key passes and that one uh, beautiful assist with a toe poke. Um, Steve, what about you? Were you a little bit worried? Obviously, when we see Parrish coming and playing on the left, that's not uh, an ideal position for him. What did you make um, of his performance? Were you a little bit scared when Spinazzola went off? Yeah, I mean, not so much scared because we've seen Perez play out on the left before. He's done it when Roma's needed him to, especially with Calafiori out with COVID. Uh, my worry was that, you know, Spinazzola's played fairly well, you know, actually a little more than fairly. He's played well for the most part. A couple, you know, games not so great this year, but for the most part, well. 
Um, and to lose him I, for any length of time could be, you know, dangerous to Roma because they don't have a lot of depth on those wings. But uh, Perez played well. You know, uh, a couple of his shots were a little frustrating because they were a bit weak. You know, they were on target, but they weren't really that threatening. But, yeah, I mean, the assist he played in, like Sean said, was lovely. It was a great pass to Mkhitaryan. And, you know, he performed fairly well. So, uh, luckily, he can cover the left because with Calafiori out for so long already, you know, hopefully we'll see him back after the international break, especially if Spinazzola does have to miss any length of time more than the two weeks that we're off. Uh, because, again, after the break, we'll talk about it later, but the schedule gets heavy again with a couple of Europa League matches and, you know, Serie A. So, you know, good that Perez can cover, but we're hopefully Spinazzola or Calafiori is back, too, to split time with them at the very least. Right. I, I It was sort of a shocking injury to see Spinazzola leave in the 15th minute, and I think um, Perez's first moment of note in the match was sort of inauspicious when he fired that shot right at Mattia Perrin. Um, but yeah, no complaints. He was one of the highest rated players in the match. Um, but I, I think if we broaden the discussion out to Romo's fullbacks in general, I know, Sean, you've been sort of questioning why is it that Rick Karsdorp is starting over Parrish? Um, so I'm wondering yeah. if we if we look at this now, let's remove Karsdorp from the equation. Um, presuming Spinozola is healthy, he'll resume his spot on the left. Okay, so we um, had to pause it there. I did a little, little bit of editing, so hopefully that'll come out clear. Um, so we just want to discuss, obviously, fullback is a perpetual issue with Roma, but we saw today Parrish even playing out of position on the left. Um, as we said, pretty solid, actually one of the best players on the pitch today. Um, so that leads, that begs the question, what would be the top pairing? So, Sean, you're going to make a case as to why Spinazzola shouldn't be an unquestioned starter on the left. Yeah, I, I, I just think that all of our fullbacks are, should be put in question. I don't think that Spinazzola is a cast iron starter for us I know that he will be but that is even more of a question mark for me because it's is it really based on the footballing merit or is it just that we have to make the most of the money we paid for him and that's a shame when someone's on the team because it's it's just about just about money you know I I I'd ask you guys you know when when is the last game you've seen where you thought uh Roma could have done better today if Bruno Perez hadn't played now that for me that's been a long time since I felt LA Whereas Spinazzola, I can't say the same thing. Spinazzola is a slow player. I mean, physically fast, don't get me wrong, but slows down play so much lately. Um, depends on his right foot even more and more and more, which I, I wasn't expecting when we signed him. I expected him to be a genuine two-footed player. And uh, just constantly checking on his right foot, fainting about whether he's going to come inside the pitch or not, never does. And, you know, in those, in those two, three, five seconds where he's checking on his, on his right foot, Roma players are making runs off the ball and they have to stop their runs and the, the move comes to nothing. And we're completely dependent on Spinazzola to finally make his mind up, either run to the byline, send the ball in, which he can do well. I mean, he's got an assist. I'm not going to deny him that. You know, he's got some nice, nice assists at the beginning of the season. But it's just, you know, when, when Kolarov was dominating our play, we used to tell, say, well, is Kolarov a bit selfish? Uh, Spinazzola is a guy who's like, what, six times, seven times more expensive than Kolarov? And we're talking about him as if he's a guaranteed starter only purely because we need him to be at least decent. And that's, that's my little rant over. But so, uh, I just, I just, I'm done with him. So were you a little bit wistful when you saw Luca Pellegrini come on? Were, were, were you ruining that transfer when you saw him? <laughs> uh, the awkward number 88 for Genoa? The, you guys know, I was actually, I was, in, I was trying to be optimistic about that transfer. I didn't, I didn't miss Luca Pellegrini at all, even when we, when we waved goodbye to him, because I, I knew Califiori was in, in the background, and I knew that um, Simeraro at the time was in the background as well. We had, we had tons of left-backs, 
So I was okay with it. But what we've gotten from Spinozola since then is, okay, yeah, he, he can come up with some good assists and some good final balls. I'm not denying that. But when, when have you ever seen a 90-minute game from Spinozola? When? Is it just let me ask a, a clarifying question here? Is it you think maybe he's too ball dominant, or is it he's just too slow in his decision makings, or is he too deliberate with what he's doing that makes it the, the defense easier to key in, key on him? Uh, not not the last one. I mean, I I didn't expect to be to be more predictable, but I think he's 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 got enough in his arsenal that he's not that predictable. But the first two, yes, he's he's a ball hog. Um, he's slow in his decision making. It's like watching, you know, rest in peace to the guy, but it's like watching Kobe Bryant um, in his in his heyday where he'd just take over the ball and the whole team would just, you know, the team's play would run through him or not. Kobe Bryant was a great player, though, but Spinozola, I can't say the same thing. <laughs> uh, Steve, what do, you, what do you make of this proposition? I mean, I, I personally have liked Spinozola so far. I mentioned earlier, I thought he's been playing fairly well. You know, he has these games where he turns off, and I agree with Sean, you don't see the 90 minutes out of him. Um, but I thought for the most part, you know, especially the early games in the season, and even on Thursday, he had, he opened the the assist, right? He had the opening assist for Mkhitaryan's header, I believe, with his left-footed yeah, cross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah with the left-footed week. cross. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, he can improve, but I think, I don't know if it's because last season the play at left-back was pretty poor. Even Kolarov wasn't the greatest last, last season at left-back. He left us exposed a lot on the left. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think Roma could do a lot worse than Spinozola on the left. I don't know if it's because we see him on the ball so much, though, Sean, and, and you can tell me because I know you're bigger on the tactics. Do you think that we play so much through the left more than we play through the right lately? Because to me, I see a lot more balls going down the left flank than I do down the right flank this season so far. Yeah, we do. I mean, I, I remember Brent retweeted that AS Roma data tweet where it's, we saw a passing map from, I think, either the last game or the game before that, where it was like so much more going down the left, as you said, than the right. Um, but I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I just don't see it. I don't see him as like this. I don't see him as the player that we talk about him as being. But I agree too with the Pellegrini. I don't think we miss Pellegrini because we have Calafiori coming through the system. I almost even recognized Pellegrini when he came on today with the short hair, when they showed him from behind <laughs> at first. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it says something too, that he's not even starting for Genoa, who's pretty poor right now. And I don't want to say he's not going to turn into anything because Juve obviously saw something in him to buy him from us. But I thought he'd be starting by now for one of these mid-table clubs. I mean... Well, to be fair, he's in the same situation as Perez. He, he caught COVID in preseason. Mm-hmm. So he's missed okay. training. And he's a little bit behind speed. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I, I pull it up. Uh, Rome were actually pretty balanced today. 35% down the left. 32 through the middle and 33 through the right. So I don't, I don't want to turn, this, I don't want to turn this into a referendum on fullbacks because that's a whole another episode. In and of but, but isn't, isn't that also good that when, when Spitzonga comes off, you get a more balanced team. That's a good point. Yeah. It, could it also be that those other matches earlier, we saw a lot more Santone on the right. So they weren't really playing that right flank to push forward. And now with Karsdorp, we're pushing more or Pettis, whoever plays the right, those other matches now. That's true. That's true. All right, but so- I, I, can, I can understand what people like. I'll, I'll make my point really quickly, but I, I can understand what people like about Spinozola. He offers like the archetype of an all-round fullback or wide player that, that you'd want in a team. You know, he, he's, he's got the mind for defending. He can do that. He can get back in position early. He can read the game. Um, and, he, and, he, and he can get forward and he can come up with assists. So he's potentially an all-round player, but I'm just saying the reality is a lot more slow and frustrating and 
uh, just you know, not not what we paid for him essentially. I also like his beard. He's got uh, he's got like the really cool patches in the size beard, which doesn't come in. It pulls off the look. And I like, I kind of liken it to if you're someone who has straight hair, you always want curly hair. If you want curly hair, you want straight hair. If yeah. you have a full beard with no single patches of skin, you see one that has like these tactical, really stylish patches. I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool. But then you talk to someone like that, they're like, oh, I wish I can grow every single yeah. layer of face covered with hair. <laughs> Grass is always greener, I guess. Um, so let's go to the second key moments, uh, which was Genoa's only goal there. Um, with Marco Piazza, we heard it was Piazza. I don't know how you pronounce it, but it was the 50th minute. Yeah. At that point, the second half had kicked off. I think Roman missed uh, a chance early in the second half, so Genoa came back. Then obviously it was doom and gloom when they scored the goal. So the goal was um, put away by Piazza, assisted by Scamacca. It was a really, really nice uh, four-pass move. I watched it a few times on Twitter. It was really impressive. I wasn't really trying to view it from the Roma perspective of what went wrong. I was just trying to appreciate appreciate a really nice piece of play where they switched it from left to right and then really just went vertical in one pass. Um, Sean, what do you, what do you, what'd you make of that goal? Was it a complete defensive breakdown? Should Smolin kept him on side? Um, was Ibanez at fault at all? Could Lopez have saved it? What did you make of that run of play? Who was that fault? As, for me, mostly Ibanez. Uh, I, I think he, Ibanez otherwise had a, a really good game. In the first half, I was thinking, uh, my, my usual Ibanez thoughts, I was thinking, this guy can do everything. Um, he is doing everything. He he shouldn't even be at this club. He's so good. But then the second second half, a little bit arrogant from Abanias on that move. He left. Uh, he pushed up. And he left a lot, a big gap behind him that made uh, Piazza's job easier because you know he had all the time and space in the world to to pick his run. Um, but I agree with you mostly uh, about the general execution, which is a very very good goal from them. Uh, very clinical considering it's their only chance that they really had. Yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, Steve, what did you make? Was there any any avoiding that? Was there um, the offside more egregious to you? Or, uh, excuse mm-hmm. me, the keeping him onside, was that the most egregious part there? Do you think maybe Ibanez getting the No, I, I was more worried about Ibanez's positioning there, like Sean said. I thought he gave him a little too much space. Um, I don't know how fast Piazza is compared to other forwards. You know, Ibanez has good pace, and he did beat him, so he's got to be fairly pacey, I guess. Um, but I thought the positioning was poor. I was a little surprised, I think, Lopez stayed on his line. Um, I thought maybe if he came out, he could have taken away some of the angle. I, I don't want to bury Lopez so much because I know I know he, he's your, <laughs> I know he's like the bane of your existence as a, a Roma, you know, uh, podcaster and writer right now. But um, I was a little surprised when I saw the replay, not so much in lifetime, but in the replay, I was like, well, he kind of sat back. You know, Piazza didn't have any options to dump it off to to, to slot it home if he did come out. So I thought if he came out a little bit, he might take away the angle because uh, he was even a little slow to get down. I don't want to say it's his fault. I don't want to say it should have been saved because, you know, it was a good shot and a good good play by Genoa. But I think, you know, I would have liked to see him come out a little bit off the line. Yeah. I, what about what about you, Brent? What was your view? Who would you blame? <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to bounce off that last point because prior to the match, I mean, I, I, I think I saw something on one of the other Roma sites later in the week that Morante had a little bit of a knock. So I guess it wasn't completely unexpected to see Lopez start. But when I saw it come out, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Which then led to a minor sort of back and forth on Twitter with a few people. And I'm just sort of at this point, I think I've made my, my case about Lopez. Um, so when the match started, I tried to keep an open mind. I'm, I, I do take to heart. Criticisms are things that people give me on Twitter. So I was trying not to... Um, completely undress him for that one so when I saw the first blush um you know he just really got behind Abanez and it was just almost a 1v1 I mean what can you really expect Lopez to do there but I watched it a few more times it's just like yeah maybe he could have come off a little bit more um 
I didn't really notice the onside during the run of play. I was just really shocked that Ibanez got beat. Mm. Just slipped right behind him. But again, I, if you had to chalk up a percentage, I would say that was just um, 70% Genoa just pulling off a remarkable play. 30% maybe Roma not doing as well as they could. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess he could have come off the line quicker. I mean, if we look at even the women's match yesterday, there was some questionable um, aggressiveness from the keeper of that one, Baldy, as well. So it's just the nature of the beast uh, being a goalkeeper. Um, you're, t- but, you're tough to please when it comes to keepers. <laughs> I think it's just because I, I watch it with a finer eye. And I think particularly with Lopez, yeah. I, I spent so much time writing about what I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and, year, but um, if I, I would I would be on your side with Lopez if that Destro goal had been on side because that that was that was Lopez's fault coming like he was slow to come out for that. Um, let's Destro Topo get past him. I yeah. just find that un- unforgivable. Yeah, yeah even that, even the uh, ESPN announcer said as much. So that's a little vindication for me that I'm not the only one noticing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If Destro had been on side, that would have been a, a poor goal to give up from a keeper standpoint. I think that about, that would have been. How about? How about Destro's new look with the long hair and the beard? Uh, he, he's I another just, one I didn't recognize yeah, at first I had, either. Uh, I had just finished, yeah. um, for some reason, I went back and I watched uh, Netflix, El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie. And so when I, when I saw uh, Destro come out with the long hair and the beard, I'm like, he looks like one of those biker like, guys making <laughs> meth, kidnapping Jim. Any, any, any good movie, good movie if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, one thing while we're on that goal I want to bring up is uh, another ex-Roma player, which was Skamaka, who was in the, the youth system. And Sean and I mentioned a couple episodes ago how we would have liked him to be the, the striker Roma brought in before they brought Meyer Allen. He looks pretty good today. He's, he's yeah. more of that big striker. He's, you know, almost six foot four. I think he's almost two meters for those, you know, in Europe who go by meters. I looked him up. He's 1.96 meters, big striker. Um, which translates to about 6-4. And, you know, he moved pr- pretty well today. He set up that goal. He had another shot, which came across the face goal, which was dangerous. Um, he's still owned by Sassuolo. But, you know, if Meyerall doesn't work out, that's the type of player I'd love to see Roma bring home because he might be the – he never made it, I don't think, to the actual Primavera side because he left fairly young for uh, for one of the yeah, Dutch teams. Uh, PSV. Um, PSV. But, you know, he could be the one that got away when we talk about those young Roma strikers who don't end up producing in the big, the big stage. He looks pretty good. He's got two goals in his last two games before this, assist today. Uh, he's starting to look like a player, you know, and we'll see. I, when... I believe he's got four and five for general yeah. so far. I, yeah, so, I, I think maybe with the Copa too, yeah. Uh, so he's looking like a player. So I'd keep him on the Roma radar if I were Roma's, you know, whoever have... he ends up being. I heard a midweek comment on the radio from Roberto Pruzzo who claims that Scamacca is a bit arrogant and a bit of a hot, uh, not hothead, but just a bit up himself. I don't know how true it is because I, I often disagree with anything that Pruzzo says. Uh, he just comes up with stuff out of nowhere. But uh, uh, that's that's his take on why a lot of clubs have, have passed on signing Scamacca. Mm-hmm. I, really, I don't know how true it is. Maybe he just judges him for the neck tattoos, but I, I saw today... He fit in, I run <laughs> with those, right? With cars. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I saw Skamaka today warming up that, that left foot, or was it right foot, for uh, slotting in a through walls to, to Piazza. Um, one, when he, he was warming up, and the first chance he tried, he, he got way off, like, way to overhit the pass, but then that was like him warming up, and then he, he did that final, you know, defense-blitting ball to, to Piazza for the goal. And... Uh, Seems like he can do a lot. You know, he can, yeah. he can be a threat in the air. He can be a provider. And obviously, he can be a scorer, judging by his record. So, yeah. Yeah, and those are the kind of things we're used to seeing Jekko do as a striker, you know, move it move it forward to somebody else. But impressive. 
All right, so let's with that we'll move on to our final key moment of the match, which was the match winner, Henrik Mikatarian's second goal. Um, Sean, you want to run this one for us? I think you put the notes in here on this one, right? Uh, I think okay. I just I only changed it to Costante, so like the guy who picks up the ball from deep, like drops deep to the back line, picks up the ball from must be Lopez and looks up, sees the run from. Well, first of all, there's a run from Rick Carstop off the ball. He went hell for leather running in field, but I. I was so shocked at it. I didn't understand what he was trying to do, but it worked out well for Roma because it brought the focus to the the right flank and uh, Genoa looking for maybe the direct pass to Mkhitaryan or Karstop on the right in the middle. And instead, Cristante looks up, hits a long ball out to the left to Bruno Perez, um, where the Genoa players are standing off of him. And Genoa trying, they have only one runner that, that follows Bruno Perez, um, who runs into the, the left half space, into the box on the left side, uh, takes you know no time, just does a first first touch inside of his toe, <laughs> hook back into the box to Mkhitaryan's run in the middle, and Mkhitaryan just um, yeah just puts it away. Right, and so the second talk point we have on that is so obviously Roma have won um, nine straight matches. If we remove the whole DOR listing thing, if we uh, stretch it back even further to last year, I think they went from match day thirty one through this one only dropping one one match i recall to sevilla in the europa yeah. league so it's a really an impeccable run but throughout all that really the only criticism people have sort of hurled at fonseca was a substitution pattern so even with the five subs earlier this year there a lot of times he was waiting to well past the hour mark so what do we think is he nailing it with the substitutions are there any sort of weaknesses or blaring excuse me glaring criticisms criticisms we could throw at fonseca now what do you think steve yeah, I think he got it all right today. I mean, I was looking at the bench when Roma was kind of lagging a bit at 1-1. Uh, they weren't really doing much offensive. I'm thinking, you know, Myral is probably a candidate to come off, but who do you bring in? We don't even have Carlos Perez on the bench. Obviously, Jekyll's out with COVID. And I didn't really see the Cristante sub coming, but it, it worked beautifully because Mkhitaryan has like a false nine type player, you know, scored two goals once he shifted there. Cristante beautiful ball over the top, long ball to set up Pettis, who was also a sub, four sub, but it was a sub nonetheless. Um, I think his sub patterns have gotten better today. It was a very short bench. Um, you know, he really only had, when you look at candidates to come in, it was Pettis, uh, VR, Cristante, and, you know, Kambula, if you had like a need on defense for some reason, it was very short, a lot of Primavera players. And I think he used them perfectly today. Um, so I think he's starting to get a, a better handle on his team maybe, because even I didn't get to watch the match midweek again because of work, but, you know, he seems like he had those premeditated 45-minute subs at halftime, and it worked out well. I mean, he's starting to get a better handle on the substitution patterns, I think. Um, I, I'd ask you, Brent, you know, I'd like, is that, because, I mean, I know you've questioned Fonseca for a while. Is it, Are there things that we've criticized him for where, where you can you can genuinely say that he hasn't actually learned from his mistakes and, and built on them? Uh, that's tough for me to say. I, I think... Um, he's in the unfortunate position where he's working with a team that was built for two other managers. So I think any sort of broad holistic um, critique you give him, you have to keep that in mind that he's just working with what he has. And we've talked about that many times with how he uses Jekko versus how he would use somebody else. Um, I guess I was always sort of on the fence. I didn't really know much about him when they hired him. And then obviously he was probably at least their third choice. And I think, uh, during the balance of last season, you know, they never won more than three matches in a row. They never really seemed to 
um, live up to what he wanted. It was never really like impressive. Like, Oh my God, this guy's nailing it. And then obviously the restart happened and they did really well, but that was sort of a soft point in their schedule. And then when they, although came- I, I am going to bring it up again at, at new year's, you did write that Paolo Fonseca would go on to win multiple trophies with Roma and stay for 10 years. Yeah, I, I think I, I just really like him as a man. He seems like a hell of a guy um, just based yeah. on – yeah, obviously I can only tell that from, you know, several thousand miles away. I just based that off of what he says and um, the way he interacts with players. He seems like a hell of a guy, and he has command of God knows how many languages at this point. He's a sharp dresser. Yeah. Um, I, I miss his summer outfits when he wear, like, the khaki and the tan, look like he was going out on the boat for the weekend. <laughs> um, so, I mean, he's a very impressive guy. I guess I was just – when they hired him, I was expecting, like – Four, three, three, two, five, four matches like every single week because that just seemed like he was, you know, um, fast and loose, all out attack. So I was anticipating that. So I think maybe the, they didn't bowl me over. So maybe that's why I was a little bit on the fence for a while. Um, but you can't argue with the results nine in a row. And if you stretch it back to last year, it's like 20 out of 22 matches or something like that. Like that. You'd be a fool yeah. to criticize him. So I, I think at this point, it's just um, get him what he wants and see what he can do. I mean, we didn't really talk about Borja Mayoral today. Um, obviously, he did really well against Cluj when they had that sort of a glaring miss today. So we still don't really know if he's the guy for the future. But, um, yeah, I, I'm fully on board with him now. I'd like to see what he can do. I mean, if he – I don't want to say if, but if he makes it through the whole year, we're, we're entering uncharted territory, the same coach for three years in a row. When's the last time mm-hmm. that happened? <laughs> yeah, and, and going back to what you said, those five four four threes that we were expecting, the defense has been very good. They've built a nice defense for them, and, you know, tactically they've been fairly sound. They had one breakdown today, but I think they've given up uh, eight goals on, on the pitch this year when you discount that uh, negative three result they got from the uh, Hellas game that was technically forfeited, I guess you could say, which they have the, uh, the, the appeal this week. But on the pitch, you know, giving up eight goals in seven matches is – is not bad when you consider five of those came against Milan and Juve. All right, so we got uh, times running down here. Um, so let's move on to – we'll very briefly discuss some of the key players. We haven't uh, written up um, the centers and Saints for this match, but obviously Mkhitaryan's going to take the top plaudits. So outside no, of him – really? <laughs> outside of him, Sean, who else impressed you today? Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to Steve's, Steve's favorite player, and a guy I'm a fan of, Gianluca Mancini. I thought he was very, very good today. I think that we've, I've certainly questioned whether he belongs in the first team lineup in the first, in the first few weeks of the season. And he's responded to the challenge and the competition by upping his game and really dominant performance from, from the back today. Um, Not just defensively, but also being that, that man that offers that extra, extra man, both in midfield and defense uh, as and when it, as and when it happens. So, yeah, for me, him, uh, Bruno Perez, um, well, I'll, I'll let you guys rattle off some names, but for me, Gianluca Mancini is my guy. Um, I'll just give a quick shout to Pedro. Uh, I mentioned this in the match, I just, I just think it's really um, impressive for the first time that we have some veterans who are really running the show. We're not relying on someone like Patrick Schick to figure it out. We're not hoping that someone like Gregoire Defrel wasn't a flash in the pan. We have legitimate veterans who were battle-tested in, England and international competition. So I'll give a shout to Pedro. I just think every match he's doing so well. And I think you can really see that maybe it's just having the common tongue, but he was working really well with Mayoral and Perez and VR when they're on the, on the pitch. So I'll give a shout to him. Steve, what about you? Yeah, um, I have to agree with Sean. I think Mancini had another strong game. Maybe bringing Kambula and the emergence of Abanez has kind of pushed him to the next level, that competition. He's also cleaned up his game a bit. No yellow card yet in the first seven matches, which was a big yeah. issue with him last year. I think he had 10 or 11 on the season. 
So I think that competition has been good for him. I thought Pellegrini had another strong game in the midfield. Um, I think whatever Fonseca has done with him, he's gotten him in a good position. He's much more sound tactically since they've moved him to more of a central mid position. He doesn't just drift out wide and get lost. And, you know, credit to him for improving his game, wearing the captain's armband today. I thought he had another strong game. And overall, the defense was just, I thought, very strong. I said I wanted Banya's mistake. Absolutely. All right. So that was our, our quick recap of Roma's 3-1 victory. So uh, we have about five minutes left here. So let's um, discuss the table implications. So heading into this match, there was a glut of teams stuck on 11 points. Um, Roma obviously won 3-1. to one, Then we had a big draw, Atalanta and Inter. Um, Napoli won 1-0. And obviously Juve uh, dropping points at the end to Lazio. So because of that, we have the table looks like this. First place, Milan on 16. Um, they haven't played their seventh match yet. That's coming up later today. Uh, Sassuolo in second and 15. Then we have Napoli third and 14. And then Roma in fourth place ahead of Juventus on 14 points. Um, yeah, you can't really complain about Fonseca when he's doing that. Um, so we have an international break coming up right now, but we just heard maybe about an hour ago some of the regional authorities in Italy, uh, including Lazio, the region in which Roma is located, are not allowing their players to leave for international, international break because um, you don't have to be a medical professional to notice that COVID cases are spiking all over the world. And having something as uh, frivolous and sort of pointless and hard to understand as the UEFA Nations League going on in the midst of that always seemed kind of strange. Um, well, but after- we we, we yeah, say frivolous. I, I think I think we're going to discuss it on another episode. But uh, um, when when did club football become more important than international football? I mean, we've got to remember that that – the seed money for football always came from FIFA and UEFA. It came from the promoter. So it's, it's their competitions that should be number one. Um, or should they? You know? But I think that's for another episode. Yeah, that's, that's a whole other <laughs> discussion. Um, yeah. Wow, you got me thinking now. Uh, yeah, so anyways, um, I can't let that go. The Nations League, really? The Nations League's terrible. It, it, would, it would be like going to boxing and saying, why are we going to host a fight with the WBA when we could just host a fight in our neighborhood you know I, it's it's a bad parallel because uh, football is a single promoter sport but at the end of the day these are the promoters competitions and they're the ones who you know that's was, that's, that's what pays the build you know i was just going to say that i think part of the reason that boxing is so confusing because there's so many different titles so many different organizations when you contrast yeah. that to ufc which is more centralized but i would think domestic leagues can make enough money based purely off of broadcasting revenue where that should be yeah yeah, uh, priority. That, that's that's why it's something I'd, I'd love to discuss between us because it, maybe yeah, it has to change in football that we yeah, don't need UEFA and FIFA anymore. Yeah, we got two weeks. We can do that. Um, no. So there is a break. Some players may not be allowed to go, but coming up after the break, um, Roma has Parma and then Napoli and then Sassuolo. So it could be a chance for Roma to score some upsets and move up on the table. So as we come back from break, um, Steve, what do you – what do you think about those matches? Is, is Roma's good feelings? Is the good tides going to keep going against Parma, Napoli, and Sassuolo? What do they have to do to weather that stretch? Well, first of all, just Even today. There's also Europa League in there as well. Yes. Uh, first or, of all, today, I went in optimistic today when I looked at the, uh, the fixtures, and I said, you know, maybe Roma could get lucky. Maybe Juve can draw and drop points, and maybe the same thing can happen with Inter and Atalanta. And they both happened late in those matches, so I was, you know, happy to see that. Um, the optimist to me finally won out because Roma took care of business and made a nice jump in the table. If they win their appeal this week, they would actually jump into a tie for second with Sassuolo. So they're in a good position. You can't really complain about where they are. We'll see what Milan does today. Um, but, well, you know, yeah, don't, forget, don't forget Verona could join us on equal points. Yeah, Verona could. But then if we, get, if we win the appeal, we, you know, 
we're on 15. Yeah, that, that's an if, true. but, um, you know, and also yeah. importantly is the negative three in the goal differential that they lost in that match. Yeah. They would go back to plus eight, which would put them exactly even with Sassuolo. Just in theory, yeah. um, we'll wait and see. But uh, Parma, very winnable game coming out of the break. And then you hope he can, uh, he being Fonseca, can continue his substitution pattern, rest people midweek. Hopefully Jack goes back. If he's not back for Parma, then for Napoli, because that would be a big blow for them, I think, in attack against Napoli if they're missing Jekko. Um, but Napoli will be a very big match considering how well Napoli's played and the same with Sassuolo. But like we saw with Sassuolo this week uh, against Udinese, they're capable of being stopped uh, offensively at times. So, you know, if Roma can come out of those three matches, say with seven points or something, who says they can't be pushing for second in the table, you know? Um, looking very good. I can't, I can't be upset at all with how the season's gone so far. Okay, Sean, we got about two minutes left. So Parma, Napoli, Sassuolo, how do you think that's going to go? Give us maybe a point prediction or just your general feelings about that. I hope we win them all. I, I, can't, <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't analyze them because uh, Napoli as a team confuses me. I haven't been able to watch Sassuolo as much as apparently everyone else has. Um, but, yeah. I uh, we actually always tend to do well against them because they're they're a very open team. But then again, we got trashed against them last year. Uh, Parma were my favourites for getting relegated. They're just hovering above the relegation zone this year. It's not surprising. Um, so yeah, I, I really hope we win them all. What about yeah. you? Um, yeah, I I, I think I, I'm optimistic. I think seven points seems pretty good out of that. Um, so clock is ticking down here. So just want to thank you guys again for listening. Um, you remember, you can catch us anywhere you get your podcast um so we have an international break coming up we'll have some um broader topics maybe we'll discuss the uh, uefa fifa thing we'll discuss international break maybe the women's team um who incidentally have a huge match next week uh against second place ac milan so keep an eye out for that one yeah. um one minute left any final thoughts no just happy the result Mayara had a good game today, in my opinion. I think he was good. I he, I saw him <laughs> making some fast decisions in the in the in the final third, and uh, he's a better, more adaptable player than Patrick Schick was. All right, that's uh, yeah, that's that's a hill to die on. We'll leave. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, and we'll probably come back every next week with the sort of a catch-all podcast. Uh, hope everybody's well. See you.